0: Uh, welcome to the program, Hidden Nation. Continue to take a listen to this song.
1: Sugar laced with.
0: All the boys me. You're listening to the song Candy by our special guest today, Kirsten Moore, who's gonna be joining the program. Listen to this song for a minute. The boys they me.
1: Sugar molten
0: Oh, I absolutely love it. Welcome into the studio, Hidden Nation. You know you got Josh Carey here, your hidden entrepreneur, tuned in right here on 710WOR, the voice of New York. Also, anytime you want, all you got to do is download that free iHeartRadio app, scroll till you see this show or any other show you want like this or music like this, and you got what you need. Speaking of what you need, I'm certain that today's guest is exactly what you need, which is why you're tuned in. Like I said, it is Kirsten Moore, not only the singer-songwriter of this song, but a whole plethora of other songs, including her debut memoir, which we're going to hear about. It's called Gutter Glitter. That's right. I said Gutter Glitter. It's available on Amazon, wherever you get your books, so check that out. But first, please help me welcome to the program. Kirsten Moore, all the, way from, all the way from Australia. How are you? G'day, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing stereotypical about that. Really, really nice to have you. I, As we were talking before we went on the air, I said that there is just so much here that I adore and appreciate about you. The songs are incredible. The book, I'm a fan of even just the title, Gutter Glitter. It leaves an impression. Tell me from your your words, what does that title mean? What are we talking about here?
1: Sure. Well, I I always loved um the idea of the combination of gutter, which makes you think of kind of gutter trash and just this, yeah, left out in the gutter to dry. <laughs> and it was a tough road. This uh the most of the book is is about the difficulties of my life. And that involves sometimes I would wake up in the gutter, but always in fabulous fashion. So I just thought, look, hey, it's a little bit gutter trashy and it's a little bit of sparkle. I
0: love that one of the main themes of your book, it's written on the back cover. You write did you know that guinea pigs are so sensitive that the slightest change in environment can shock them to death? And you write, that's me, I am the guinea pig. What are you saying there?
1: I talk a lot about mental illness in this book and I think my first foray, if you will, into mental illness, my first experience was as a very small child with anxiety, but we didn't know what that was. We, you know, no one, no one told me that I was an anxious child. I was often called sensitive. We didn't have diagnoses with anxiety as prevalently prevalently as we do now. It was just this feeling of dread that I had inside all of the time. These days, my mom refers to me as an orchid. Because apparently orchids need perfect conditions in, in, in order to survive and thrive. They need perfect temperature. They need just the right amount of water and humidity. And she compares that to daisies, which will just grow out between rocks and they need essentially nothing but the bare minimum to survive. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm her little orchid or her terrified guinea pig. (laughs)
0: So you grew up in an environment that was, let's say, trying, right? You Mm -hmm. had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Um, You had um, addictions. Mm. What can you tell us about what was responsible for helping you overcome all this? And then we can back, back into what were some of the issues, but Mm. hidden nation tuning in with their own set of issues. We all come to the table with them. What
1: worked for you? Well, that's a big question, and I think the hardest part of overcoming addiction is that the tenacity <laughs> that involved because so often you are you're an addict because you're trying to survive and you're trying to survive in a world that is very harsh for you at that time. Um I don't think anybody comes to any form of addiction because they're in a good place. Uh, you come to addiction because you're you're struggling. And so first of all, you have to want to pull yourself out of that and have hope that there's something else on the other side, which again, very difficult to find once you're in that place, but possible. And I started to, first of all, I knew I couldn't overcome my addiction on my own. So I went to rehab. Um, I eventually realized that I needed that that amount of help. And from rehab, I started going to 12-step meetings, which I continued on after. I've always had therapists. I mean, I I think my most of my phone contacts are just different therapists I've had over the years. And that's something I will have for the rest of my life. Um, lots of people treating different areas of my brain. But I, I think the main part is having community around you, that love and support you, that might be a small community and um, not giving up, even though I know there will be people out there that are saying, but that's all I want. I
0: I know that there's a chapter of your book and for the record, Hidden Nation, not only is Gutter Glitter available on Amazon as a book, Kirsten is also recording the audiobook podcast version of the book where each chapter is a different episode. We'll also link to that. Kirsten, the chapter that I was fascinated by that I heard was when you were talking about your sex and love addiction. And I know Mm -hmm. that that is all too real for both men and women. What could you tell Mm -hmm. us about this phase of your life?
1: Yeah, so... Sex and Love Addiction, they it's they have meetings for that. They have 12-step meetings for that. And, of course, they have to reduce the name down to SLA, which, you know, just it just makes me feel the ickiness of Sex and Love Addiction as a concept. Um, I will say that my first ever Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous meeting was a co-ed meeting. And I would recommend to anybody out there experiencing any love addiction, which I would say is more codependency issues or, you know, more physical ad- sex addiction issues, go to separate meetings, men in one room, women in another. It's just, it just makes sense to me. <laughs> even yeah. if you, yeah, I mean, even if you like the same sex, it's, it, 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 it Women and men have very different tendencies in these areas. And I do think that as a woman, working on codependency around other women was extremely important for my healing and, um, and empowering for my emotional growth.
0: You mentioned that as a young child, even as young as five years old, you felt, what's the word, different Uh, Mm. Again, you use the words unlikable, unlovable.
1: Mm.
0: Was that that prominent
1: throughout much of
0: your young life, that feeling?
1: I think that would still be something that hangs over my head today in my 30s. So I've done a lot of work on myself and I've come very far. But these things that I think evolve when you're very young, they tend to always be hanging around on on a bad day just to come out and be like, hey, I'm going to poke you a little bit more, um, just make you feel a little bit worse. I, I think that has a lot to do actually ties into the sex and love stuff and the codependency because I think having a father that was travelling for work a lot, um, not necessarily neglectful on purpose, but just by way of his career meant that I developed this attachment to men um, throughout my life and this codependency grew. And so when that was taken away, when the safety of a man in my life was taken away at any age, I instantly became this anxious, terrified person that felt like I wasn't good enough. On my own, that I couldn't survive on my own without this male figure, um, whether it's a boyfriend or a father or whatever. Even I remember even being a twelve year old having crushes on boys, and if they didn't like me, I was like, oh, I don't exist. You know, it's it was quite an intense attachment, and within that, uh, my whole self worth would be have would have been put on that person.
0: Yeah, you're not you're not unique in that way. Um I could totally relate to that. I know a lot mm-hmm. of our listeners as well. So the idea of feeling this way really took a toll um all throughout your teens and then you developed some 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 physical ailment that brought you on the opiate path?
1: Yeah. So I developed a spinal tumor, which wrapped around my spinal cord um, when I was 21, and I went on an experimental chemotherapy for a few years to basically calcify or harden the tumor to make it easier to remove. Eventually, I had to have spinal surgery to remove it, and this meant a pretty massive spinal resection, um, which post-surgery meant that I was on a a shiz-ton of opiates for a very long time, probably longer than I needed to be, but several years of daily use. And when my life fell apart around me, I lost loved ones very close to me and, again, a boyfriend, so this sense of losing identity when he left. Mm. Um, I completely broke my my whole sense of self broke and then I had these happy little pills in my pocket to lean on um that no longer were for physical pain but now for my my mental anguish and of course that only lasts a certain amount of time until it then becomes its own spiral of mental anguish but um yeah that that was how it all began yeah how do we How do we get
0: over such a thing where we all have our versions of a drug, Mm. right? Version of whether it's sex, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whether Mm. it's shopping, gambling, right? Any addiction to numb Mm -hmm. the pain. It almost seems like life can't exist or doesn't exist without such a vice,
1: and it's even harder now, I think, because we're all we've all got phones in our pocket twenty-four-seven. I mean, I think that's probably the most prevalent addiction at the moment, aside from coffee, but you know, what's a coffee gonna do? <laughs> I think that the having this little computer in our pocket that validates us or tells us that we're not lovable because it's not going ding, 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 ding. You know, like likes, likes, likes every few seconds. Like it's um yeah, I think that's a really really tough. <laughs> that's that's an addiction in itself and it's hard to overcome just to put the phone away to go to bed at night. So, I think it's normal to want to have that dopamine hit um that that which is what addiction feeds on. But unfortunately, and addicts are going to hate me for saying this, the best way to overcome an addiction is by learning I'm going to say some of your, your, your most hated words. So earmuffs, if you're not, if you're not ready is a uh, moderation and balance. And I'm not talking about moderation in terms of drug abuse, but I just mean the only way through an addiction is learning how to find peace and balance in your own life. Um, because extremes are not it like any extreme an addict, an addict can be addicted to anything. You know, I was hearing, um, Gabor Mate, who is an addiction specialist, talk once, and he was talking about his addiction. He's a doctor. He's an addiction specialist. He's brilliant. Um, He was talking about his addiction to buying records. And you'd think, like, how can you be addicted to such a silly thing? But it was affecting his life, his finances, his relationship with his wife, and it was spiraling out of control. And anything that gets to a level that you cannot manage is an issue.
0: Yeah, the, the idea of that our phone is just there to, to help or hinder, right? It could be mm-hmm. used uh, for safety in terms of helping you through positively things, but more often than not, we're all just addicted to it in a very unhealthy way so mm-hmm. it becomes uh, an issue of acknowledgement, awareness, admission, as that first barrier. Your your message of hope is admirable. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how and when that that became part of who you are and what it's done for you.
1: Um. Yeah. Hope. Hope is. I have lived without hope and of all the things that i have been through i think that's probably the worst feeling that i've ever experienced um it's just hopelessness yeah. yeah and i mean you hear people say that when they um become suicidal and until you've experienced utter hopelessness it's almost just like a a giving over a giving up and when you have no you feel like you have no reason to live you really are just going through the motions, getting through the days, and it is it is awful. And so what I would like to say to anybody listening who feels that way is um, coming from somebody who has been existentially depressed most of their life, there is hope. And I know what that sounds like because I've been on the other side of that. I've received that. But okay, thanks. That's helpful. I will say this. You need to work at it. You do need to have a phone therapist for that. like me, like, you know, scrolling through to find the right one for that day. It does need to be regular. You do need to be trying. And trying is the hardest thing in the world when you feel as exhausted as a hopeless person does. So I get it. But continuing to put effort into yourself is the only way through. and even when it can take years like a really long time sometimes there is hope there is a way through and there is a better path so that's like it's a smallest smallest thing that I want to get through but get across but that's but that's it there is hope coming from a hopeless person <laughs>
0: What do you do every day? You have a a ritual, a mantra, a routine that helps you navigate morning, noon, and night?
1: Sort of. Look, I'm pretty gentle with myself these days. Um, I spent most of my life berating myself and whipping myself like a a horse um, just to achieve and become, and I don't even know what I was trying to achieve and become, but it was big. And so I try and relax the reins on myself a little bit these days and just be kind and gentle. Um, there are certain things I do to maintain my mental health as best as I can. I get enough sleep. I try and put the phone away. I um, I meditate every day and I know how annoying that is to hear, oh, you got to meditate every day. I look at it, about usually evolves into a nap. That's okay. Like, do a so little nap bit of,
0: every day. That sounds much just, better. Just take, I just a, take a little
1: nap. Yeah. <laughs> a little power down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just kind of makes me have a breather in the day, gives a little break, gives a little stop to my brain, stops that kind of um, monkey mind from overanalyzing and overworking too hard and slows things down a little bit. And I think that that is really, that's probably the most helpful thing. Aside from that, I've got two cats and I've got a little uh, balcony where I do my little gardening I'm just living the life of a 65-year-old woman who likes to potter around with her plants and her cats. And it's the best.
0: (laughs) So it's about being fair to yourself and understanding that you no longer want to be feeling this. Because we all know people who do nothing but complain and complain and complain, but they're not taking any step or look into the right direction. So the first step is saying okay, this sucks. I see what sucks and something's got to be done and I'll do something about it.
1: Exactly. I remember the first day I went to rehab, um, talking to the doctor there and he was like, okay, so what are we doing? What are your options? And I said, well, I'm not allowed to kill myself because mom won't let me. And I'm not allowed to take the drugs that make me feel good anymore. And he's like, okay, so what's the third option? I'm like, third option? what do you mean? He's like, well, the third option is to get better. And I was like, oh, no, that means I have to do the work. And I was just like that. That was the worst thing you could have said. Cause all of a sudden I have to step up. I have to be the one to save myself. I have to put one foot in front of the other. And all I wanted was this pill to take it all away, take all the pain away. But Mm -hmm. now it was creating more and more anguish and making things worse feelings so you have to feel that's that's it I had to feel it and it was a lot to feel and it was ugly and now it's better
0: yeah see that's that's the thing right we all take something or do something to why do we do it to numb ourselves so we don't Mm -hmm. feel whatever we're trying to avoid Mm -hmm. so once we strip that away we're more able to feel the feeling to say, okay, what is this? What am I really avoiding here? And then how do I step through it? How do I move past it? How do I confront it? Did you experience that typically when you do that and you face it, it's not as intimidating or is it as intimidating AF yet you still must? (laughs) The latter.
1: yeah yeah it it really sucks but they, but it is faster, I guess, so when we're using a substance, we are putting off the that that true intensity of the pain, but it just sort of seeps out and it takes longer and longer and longer we are we are putting off dealing with something, so whereas true. once we take we rip the band aid off, we take the pills away or whatever it is that we're leaning on to hide from our pain it hurts like hell it really does and there can be layers uh, beneath layers beneath layers of pain that you've just been burying for many decades sometimes so it's gonna hurt most but most of the time it's gonna it's gonna suck otherwise you wouldn't have developed the addiction right so it hurts but it hurts in in my experience for less amount of time as trying to run from it
0: so where are you today? You're, you're, you're. I
1: am clean. I am sober. Thank, thank God. Um, you feel loved. Do you feel lovable? You feel likable? Well, yeah, actually. Well, yeah, actually. Thank you. <laughs> I um, I have days. Look, I struggle for sure still. um, But I am in a good enough place to have a healthy relationship. And when I, Cry to him and say, "You don't love me. Why are you with me anyway? Everybody hates me." He just laughs at me, and then I start laughing as well, which is, I think, a nice, healthy way to deal with somebody who's crying, saying, "Why does everybody hate me?" (laughs) I have gotten to a place where I, and and with writing the book, this has helped a lot. Where I've been able to look at my past and a lot of my past behaviors and laugh at myself and give humor to it and I think um I think that has been one of the most healing things along with the medication and the therapy and the help you know I think having a different perspective of myself um and being kinder to myself and having humor has has really been helpful in helping me get to the next level of my healing
0: Hidden Nation here with Kirsten Moore talking all about her life journey, her message, and her debut memoir, Gutter Glitter, available right now on Amazon. Go check that out. Kirsten, what is the reader going to get from this book?
1: Sex, love, and rock and roll, baby. Except what else do it's we need? Not rock right? and roll. It's it's more just like chill girly white girl songs. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's um it's a lot of it. addiction talk. Obviously, it's sex and love addiction. It's drug addiction. We talk a lot about grief, heartbreak as well, um, overcoming those things. And look, I try to put a little bit of levity in there, despite it being heavy topics, because I think, I think you need it. I think, like I said, that's the way to overcome with a bit of humor.
0: There you go. This has been absolutely eye-opening and extraordinary, just like you are, Kirsten. I really appreciate oh. you for opening up, for sharing your journey, and I'm excited to follow how all this plays out, the final act, if you will, which is not for a while. I don't mean like your <laughs> fun; fi- just mean, you know. I'm the act. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. It's been so nice sharing the story with you. I love every minute of it. Gutter Glitter.
0: Hidden Nation, go check out your copy. Just look at that cover, if nothing else. Great job on the title, on the cover. If that's any indication, you're sure to love the book. Also go check out her music. We'll link to all of it for now, Hidden Nation. I wanna thank you so much for spending your time. Remember, get out there, be seen, be visible, no longer hiding the best parts of yourself this conversation surely supported that message and I hope you take it to heart and do the same. We are here for you. We're going to do it again before too long. Until we do, thanks for tuning in. Take care. Be well.